Well, I want to talk to you today about an area of some growth. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to 25. Let me read it. We'll make a few comments on it. Hopefully leave today with something from heaven. I hope you come. You know, not everything's about the preacher. In fact, I think sometimes less is about the preacher than it is a hearer. Uh, I think it was Brother Ludwig say, he that, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. I think if you come to church with a hard heart or you're upset or you don't, you're mad or something, you're probably going to get about zero out of it. You're going to leave the same way you came. You know, you're going to go, well, that preacher, he sure wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, I get all the blame. You know. He wasn't very good. Uh, he did. He was too long, too short, too fast, too slow. His illustrations weren't good. Something was wrong. Yeah, I didn't like the way he looked. His voice sounded scratchy. It was just going to be a hundred reasons. But if you'll come to a place where the Bible's preached and you'll say, God, would you speak to me today? Forget all these folks around me. Would you speak to me today? I believe God hears that prayer. That's like, it'd be like a child coming to you and saying, may I clean my room today? Or, or may I wash your car today? Or may I pick, take the garbage out today? I mean, your parents are going to go first when you wake up. After passing out, you're going to say, absolutely you can do that. I'd, I'd love you to do that. Would you do that? And when you go to God and say, God, would you speak to me? It's not God's will that any should perish. That all should come to repentance. It, it was God that said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I, God loves you and wants to contact you and connect with you. And, and if you say, God, I really want to connect with you, I want to contact you, he's all over that. And you come to a church where the Bible's preached, you say, God, I want you to speak through that, that old boy up there and do something through the word of God he's going to preach. I, the hermeneutics, the methodology of the preaching may be horrible. But you're going to go away and say, that was one of the best messages I ever heard. So is it in the speaker or is it in the hearer? Right? Well, you think about that. You cogitate on that a little. Let me read this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. If you have an electronic Bible, that's a good way to go. You can have your Bible on your phone now. Alexander Scorby, tremendous uh, app, a lot of good apps. It says, let us draw... I want you to, to circle the words if you have a pen or you mark your Bible. Let us. If you have an electronic Bible, you can actually mark it also. Let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The second one in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and, and, and God's children said, God is faithful. The third one we see there in verse 24 and 25, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Uh, how, how are we to do that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, as, as so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, help each other. Go on for God. The writer of Hebrews includes himself in this exhortation, and if I may say a short listing of some of the duties as a Christian to each other. I want you to note the context of this passage, however. Uh, the context of this passage is this passage is just before the most sober, fearsome warning in all of Scripture. 
The following verses after this text that, in verse 25 are some of the most sober, uh, fearsome warnings anywhere in the Bible. Uh, it is a warning to the fake, to the fraud, and to the phony uh, who claim Jesus uh, as their Savior but live outside of the biblical parameters. Uh, if Jesus said, if you love me, uh, you, you'll keep my words. I write up here above my head. Look at that. Blessed are they that hear the word of God. You can stop there if you want, but don't. Jesus said, blessed are they that hear the word of God. That's you today, right? But you won't be included in that unless you do the last part. Those are Jesus' words, by the way, Luke eleven twenty eight. Keep it. Keep it. Having a Bible in your house is not going to help you much, to be honest with you. The Bible is not some holy instrument that somehow if you have it around some people think it's like a lucky charm you know it's like a lucky charm i don't mean cereal either um it's 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 like if you have one in your car and you have one in at work and you keep one in your pocket it's like the little rabbit's foot people carry around you know and none of you do that of course but you know the little rabbit's foot or something a little lucky well this is my lucky coin or my lucky shirt or no no the god's god's not that way the only re the only way that bible is going to do you any good is if you read it, hear it, and then keep it. Keep it. And that's the key right there. So the warning after verse 20, and you don't, please don't look at that while I'm preaching, but the warning from 26 on is the most serious warning of all of Scripture to those who would be fake, fraud, or phony in their belief. The Christian life, I believe, is the most serious decision you'll ever make and ever attempt to do. It's more serious than your occupation. It's even more serious than who you choose as a mate for life. It's the most serious decision you'll ever make when you trust Christ as your Savior. Why? Because you have an eternal, never-dying soul that's going to live somewhere forever. And if in the quiets of, the, of your mind, you know that's true. Because the God, the Holy Spirit, uh, no matter who you are, testifies to you that you somehow there's something beyond this life there's something more than what this this uh, getting up working uh, you know eating sleeping going to bed and doing it again there's something more bigger coming our way uh it, your soul's future is literally at stake others around you are at stake uh if we take this thing carelessly I, I, others around you will be hurt eternally. If you take it seriously and soberly, I believe God can do great and mighty things for those people around you that even you don't know about. And people will be influenced that you never meet. People will be encouraged to live for God that you've never said hi to if you'll just live the way the Holy Spirit and the Bible tells you to live. So let me go through these uh, three major sections. Uh, this morning. First one I listed as live, let us live purely. I believe it identifies the way to live purely there in, in four sections. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. To live purely, I believe one needs to understand what he says in that verse. First, we must be true hearted. With a true heart. With a true heart. True hearted. What is that? Unhypocritical. 
Uh, God's looking today. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord go for all over the earth looking to and fro for those that will have a true heart, if I may say it that way. A, a, a loyal heart, a real heart, an honest heart. It's, it can be worded a lot of different ways, but a true heart. When I got married to Kathy uh, Moore, uh, she was 18, I was 19. What do you know about life at 18? Let me ask you this. What, do, what did I know about her at 18? Nothing. What do I know now? Nothing. <laughs> I do know this. She has a true heart. Ah, God allowed me to marry a girl with a true heart. Now, she's not Betty Crocker, but she's got a true heart. She's not Aunt Jemima either, but she's not Betty Crocker, but she's got a true heart. I don't care if she can't cook, can't sew, and I'm not saying that any of this is true. I'm just doing hypothetical. I don't care about all that stuff. If you get a woman that's got a true heart, you got a great woman. You get, a, you get a man that's got a true heart, you got a great man, girls. You can live with all the rest of those inconsistencies or things that you may not like. Are there things you don't like about your mate? Duh. That's what, I, that's what the rest of the 48 years was to figure out. God is looking. He says, I'm looking. Let us draw near with a true heart. The first thing about this whole thing, we have to have, you know, I, I looked at a few places in the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 15 says, uh, it's, I'm talking about the parable of the sower, brother. We couldn't have been more aligned today. I was going to, didn't know this. But it says there, but that on the good ground, as they, the good ground where the seed fell, had an honest and good heart. Now that's God defining where the seed of the word of God will grow. The soil for the word of God that will grow and, and create eternal fruit is a heart that is honest and good in God's definition of things. When it talks about the deacons in Acts chapter 6 verse 3, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. It could have said anything, but what did it say? Of honest report. That's that truthfulness again. Uh, when it talks about the apostles, in 2 Corinthians 8, 21, it says, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. So we have to have a true heart. Secondly, you have full assurance. If you look at that verse there, we're just going to go down through those things. Full assurance. Now that's understanding, um, you know, I don't think you can do anything that will grow very far with the Lord if you're wondering whether you're saved or not. God has to settle that. Are you saved? Well, I don't feel saved. Is it about feelings? Or is it about facts? Salvation is about what God does. He births you into his family when you meet the conditions of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, you admit you're a sinner and able to save yourself. You admit Jesus Christ came and he was, the, he was the son of God. He died on the cross, shed his blood. The third day, he was honestly really resurrected, sealing him as the Messiah, because there's lots of people out there who said they were the Messiah, but Jesus was the only one that was resurrected. It seemed over 500 people one time. And you say, I believe that to be true. 
And in your heart you want it. And God seals you. He comes with the blessed Holy Spirit. He calls it in John chapter 3 being born again. It's a supernatural thing. It's from heaven. And he births you. You have full assurance that he birthed you. I believe God wants us to have confidence. It says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not shaking in my boots uh, uh, whether God's going to leave me or forsake me. I know that whether one way or another, now he'll discipline me, he'll spank me, my dad, but I, I had a mom and dad that were like that. They stuck with me all the way. Good, bad, and ugly, they stuck with me all the way. And, 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 and if my mom and dad were good parents, how much better is God as a parent? You know, the, Lord, the prayer that he taught his disciples, he says, Our Father which art in heaven. He's my dad. He's my parent. He's my, he, the motherhood of God and the fatherhood of God. He's all of them to combine together. And if, if, my, if my own earthly parents stuck with me, and I was, you can imagine I was not an easy child to raise. My brothers were worse, but I was not an easy child to raise. You have to have a true heart. You have to have a sense of confidence in what you believe. Thirdly, you have to accept the clear, a clear conscience purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Look at the verse. Having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. You accept the fact that God has cleansed me. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from how much? All sin. You ought to memorize that thing. The devil's going to come by and say, oh, my. But you need to, by the grace of God, say, Jesus Christ, when I humble myself, uh, and repented and, and put my simple childlike faith in him. He cleansed me from, I had an old hooker one time I stopped by and talked to about Jesus. And she said, oh, Bill, I've just done things you can't even imagine. I've done so many wicked things God could never for me. I said, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, will cleanse you from all sin. That's un unconditional, all sin. Everything you've ever thought, imagined, or ever done bad, God knew that before the beginning and the end. He knows the beginning and the end. He came to you with the Holy Spirit, and he, he woos you to be saved. He understands who you are. So you accept your conscience. Well, when you, get, when you accept the fact that God has forgiven you, you, gotta, you get a clear conscience sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, and that just helps you grow. That helps you. Listen, you can't grow without that. You got otherwise you're fretting all the time, and you're all you know. God's not, God is not an old man with a big club, with a bad attitude, looking to just every time you get out of line, going to knock your head off. That is the devil's view of God, but that's not the real God of the Bible. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's the God of the Bible. Now, he's no fool either. Once you come to him and get saved, you, you say, well, I want to go out and still have some of the world. You don't want to do that. The last thing here, the fourth thing in this verse, realize the holy nature of our bodies. Look at that. He says, and our bodies washed with pure water. Did you know that the Bible says when you get saved that you become the temple of the Holy Ghost, the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you want to verify me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you want to verify. It is a clear, honest, straightforward teaching of Scripture. What, 
what it means to be born from above is when God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit comes in and makes his dwelling in me forever, by the way. According to John chapter 14, verse, I think it's 16, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will never leave me. God's going to be with me. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, didn't he? Isn't that, isn't that Hebrews 13, 5? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be with you. But our body is God's residence now. It becomes holy by the fact of his presence. Uh, our souls are holy and never dying. Our spirits are holy and never dying. So it makes for our body, soul, and spirit now to become the, the habitation, and if I may say the instrument in which God wants to work to reach the world with the news Jesus died for them. How do you know that? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole soul, spirit, or spirit, soul, and body, there it is, spirit, soul, and body, be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you be preserved blameless? Because God himself has sanctified you, cleansed you, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed you from all sin. And when God the Father looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ, which was enough to save the whole world if they'd have believed. Man. Now the second let us, we look in verse 23 there. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. So we're let, the first verse there in 22, let us live purely. And the second one is, let us live purposefully. Let us live purposefully. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And I like that last part, without wavering, to be steady. I like it. I looked through the Bible for the word hold fast. I found amazing. It says this. Let me give you a few quick ones. Hold fast to that which is good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Hold fast the form of sound words, 2 Thessalonians 1.13. Hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm unto the end, Hebrews 3.6. Hold fast our profession, Hebrews 4.14. Hold fast till I come, Revelation 2.25. Hold fast that which thou hast, Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. A double-minded man, the Bible says in James chapter 1, is unstable in all his ways. In fact, it says there, I think it is in verse uh, 7, it says, Let not a double-minded man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. You say, I don't get my prayers answered. That's very possibly, it's possible, at least one possibility is you're double-minded. You're on again, off again, on again, off again. God's looking for true-hearted people that will place their confidence in him. Understand they've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ and, and understand their bodies now are God's temple, holy unto the Lord. And it's a, it's a total thing. It's a real deal. It's kind of like when I got married to my woman. I meant what I said. I know when we got married, uh, nobody in my family believed I meant what I said. Almost nobody in my family believed it last. In fact, they used to say them, I am young marriages, they don't last. I don't want to show you, I don't want to get a show of hands here how many were married young in this room, married 50, 60, 70, 90, 100 years. But I'm telling you, just because somebody gets married young does not mean it's not going to last. It has to do with where they will give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, he can make it last. 
A double-minded man has nothing from God. You're not going to get anything from God. You got to hold fast those things that you have been given by God. Live purely, live purposefully, and thirdly, let us live. I, I've been waiting to get to this part because the title of the sermon is Why I Provoke You. And we had three, four amens. Why I Provoke You. The third, the third let us is let us live provokingly in verse 24, 25. And then I'll read it again. Let us consider one another to provoke. There it is, provoke to love and to good. Now, most of you are used to using the word provoke to make mad and in a bad way. But really, when you get mad, what happens? <clears throat> when you get mad, the doctors tell me your adrenaline gland goes, it squirts out all this chemical in your blood, and blood pressure goes up, heart rate goes up. You get excited. Man, woo, you get provoked. You get stronger than normal. But what it really means is to stir you up. And he says we're to provoke each other, stir each other up for love and for good works. How do we do that? One way is not forsaking the cells. Some they get, you know, it encourages me when people come together in a, in, a, in a local church and worship together. It encourages me on door to door. We get 40, 50 people show up to go out there and win souls. It encourages me when the bus ministry folks show up and, and, and want to go out there and, and get some 93, some or 100, or we've had up to 250 kids come in here at a time. It encourages me for any event that's for God. The, you know, the power of your presence. So the word consider means to have your mind fixed on an object. Have you ever seen a cat hunt? You know, how many here have cats? Come on, admit it. Admit it. How many have how many have six cats? Raise your hand. Don't, don't do it. Um, but I've watched cats, bobcats too, do the same thing. I had 50 chickens and 50 roosters. Man, you ought to, you ought to hurry up at my place about 4 or 5 in the morning. 50 roosters and bobcats. It became a feeding place for bobcats. And I would say, but when a cat sets his eyes on something, it's a fixed look that you don't see very often. It is an absolute fixation on the target. And when they move, they don't look down at the ground. Every paw goes out systematically, and they don't look down. They're, if they take their eyes off the target, something's going on. And, you know, don't, I don't think we should take our eyes off the prize either. I'm fixated on heaven. I'm fixated on Jesus. I'm fixated on the Word of God. I want to keep my eyes on it, brother. I want to keep my attention on it. I want to keep my focus on it. But you know, the world's out there trying to draw my attention over to there. The devil's over here trying to draw my attention over here. The flesh is with me, trying to draw my attention elsewhere. But God says, keep fixated on me. Keep the target in front of you. Keep uh, the goal in front of you. Keep your eyes on the prize, as they have said so many times. So that's what consider means. The other word provoke. I mean, I told you already, it means to stir up, make, you know, have, but, but this is why you can say, preacher, no, now I understand your whole ministry. My ministry is to provoke you. And I've succeeded pretty much. Maybe not in the right way, but my ministry is to provoke you to love. 
You say, you mean to tell me I need to be provoked to love? Well, it wouldn't say it if you didn't need it. It makes sense to you? I mean, that's a duh. Evidently, we need what's going on this morning. Evidently, we need the things that go on during the week. Evidently, we need to be stirred up for good things because uh, it's a a tough old world we live in with a lot of distractions. And and man, a brother, a a neighbor near is better than a brother far off. I need you to help me. I need you to encourage me. If you see something not going right in my life, I want you to come talk to me. Provoke me to love. If you see me get lazy, provoke me to good works. Say, Bill, man, you, you're laying back too much. Don't do it. Why? Because it's the prize. I want to consider it. Be fixated on it. By the way, if I may say this, you'll be glad I provoked you. A hundred years from now. Do you know 100 years from now, there'll be nobody in this auditorium that'll be alive? Oh, you say, Brother Bill, I got relatives that lived 104. That was them, not you. They didn't eat burritos. They didn't eat, they didn't eat chips, uh, ice cream, snicker bars, hog and dos. They ate. They, uh, you know, and so they may live to 104, and I get a kick out of people, but just because you're relatively to 104 has absolutely nothing to do with your longevity, to be honest with you. Because one of them Yankees up there may take you out in a heartbeat. They, they have their left direction on, but they really want to go right, but they forgot which way was right and left. So they thought the brake was the gas, the gas was the brake, boom, you're gone. I mean, I don't know what my days are. The Bible says, teach us to number our days. I, I want to live like, I want to plan like I'm going to live to 100, but I want to live like this is it. Today is my last day. Really, honestly, I'm living today. This is my last day on earth. I've been doing that for a long time now. But you know what I know for sure? There will be a last day. And so if I live like every day is my last day, pretty soon I come to my last day, and I have my last day. Ooh, it may surprise me. It may delight some folks. It may surprise me, but I'm going to have a last day. And when I have that last day, if I live like every day is my last day, then I've lived the right way because I've lived with a fixation on the things of God. I put my heart on it. I've encouraged other people along the way. Listen, Paul was on a ship that was going to be shipwrecked, and God told him it was going to be shipwrecked. And somehow or another, Paul prayed for the, what, 253 people or something on that boat. And the, whole, and the angel came to him and says, Paul, this ship's going to be wrecked. On, a, on some island down the road. But you know what? I've given everybody that sails with you, not one hair on one person's head is going to be lost. And I like that. I preached a message on that. Man, pray for those who say, God, I want everybody that sails with me. The guy, the, 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 the wait, I'll, I'll be get this out in a minute. The waitress in the restaurant, the clerk in the store, the gas attendant that takes my money, I want them to go to heaven. I want to provoke people to read their Bible. And you say, brother, you have. And I wish he quit talking about reading the Bible. Let me tell you, if you don't read the Bible, you'll never grow. It's like if you were a baby. We got a little Barrows baby. A few visitors. His name's Wheel. Wheel Barrows. I think that's a fabulous name. 
wheelbarrows. I guarantee if you get in a crowd of people and you say, my name's wheelbarrows, they're never going to forget you. Wheelbarrows. I guarantee if wheelbarrows quits eating, it won't be long before he withers away and dies. And you spiritually are the same way. You quit reading your book. You quit getting with the Holy Spirit. And you, that's, that's heavenly food. That's heavenly ribeye. That's heavenly hagen That's heavenly uh, ice cream snicker bars. And if you quit that, you're going to start losing weight and get emaciated. And no wonder you got problems. No wonder nothing seems to be going that God has not helped because you're not feasting on the manna that'll give you a bountiful supply. Read your Bible. I provoke you to read your Bible. I provoke you to witness to the loss. Why Jesus came, doesn't do a bit of good that Jesus came, died, and was resurrected if they don't hear it. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. they got to hear it. So our purpose, our primary directive here at the gospel is not to have church on Sunday. That's good. We do that. But our primary purpose is to be grow in Christ to the place where we can go out there and shed the heavenly sunshine everywhere we go and say, Jesus saves. They receive it. They don't receive it. That's not on me. But my job is to tell them Jesus can save you. Jesus saves. And when they go, if they don't trust Christ and they stand before him at the great white throne judgment, they're not going to be able to say, well, not one person, not one person I hung around in that town told me about Jesus. They're not going to be able to say that. I bought two or three things at some stores around here, and when I opened them up, a gospel track fell out of them. I picked it up. It was from Gospel Baptist Church. I've had people from uh, Kentucky, people from around this country say, I stopped at a gas station and went to put my credit card in there, and there was a little piece of paper, and it's from Gospel Baptist Church. I said, our people travel. It's going to be a long drive for you to come to church, however. I've encouraged you, provoked you to give so that someday you can receive. I've tried to provoke you to help the poor. Last night I prayed through the missionaries back there, some hundred of them, hundred plus. Pray for them name by name. Try to read, read the letters. And as I'm praying for them, I did a little, little, little study last night. As I was praying, I, uh, I was praying and I would say, to, where, who do they minister to? And, I, and, I, and I'm most, let me tell you this. I bet 80% of our missionaries, I'm going to do an exact count here down the road. Minister to poor. I'm talking poor. I'm talking 2 billion people in the world have a dream someday of having a bicycle. They don't have adequate food. They have no medical help in any direction. 80% of those missionaries on that border minister to that group of people. Let me just tell you something. If you give to the poor, you're lending to God Himself. He said to do it. You can't read through the Bible without looking under the word poor and not realize we have a responsibility to help the poor. And I don't know a better way to help the poor than to tell them about Jesus Christ. Sure, we help them with food. Sure, we help them to do better. But more important than the physical, of course, is to make sure that they know Christ as their personal Savior. So I've provoked you to attend church services. All come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I can't tell you how many times I've preached a sermon, and I knew this sermon would solve a question, answer a question that had been, that had been given to me by individuals. They said, what about this? And I'll say, well, down the road, you know, God will answer that. And that was the service they missed. I, when I get around preachers like Jim Benny, old, old timers, 
they will, I'll say, you know, I preached a sermon the other day that would have solved that. And he said, man, I had that happen over and over and over again. I can't tell you. The, 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 let me try to, get it this, try to get it this way. How do you know when God really, really, really wants you to come to church? How do you know? Your water heater breaks. You're, you get a flat tire. Your kid is exceptionally bad. Your wife starts talking about some controversial subject that touches your button. You know what a button is? Um, you, you, you have a, a, a northern, one of our sweet, sweet northern folk cut you off, then turn back right. You, you have, you have uh, uh, 50 other things that come up against you. And brother, when that begins to happen to me, at first I don't, may not recognize the first few minutes of it happening, and then all of a sudden I go, God's got something for me tonight. Now, even as a preacher, I get it. So I prepare sermons Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, in Sunday school for many of these years. And when I prepare a sermon, I think, okay, I'm going to preach that, like I preach all these other sermons. And all of a sudden, things start happening, man. I don't feel well. I get a headache. I'm sick. I, I get feeling woozy. <laughs> woozy, that's a, I don't know how to spell it, but I have experienced it. Let us live purely. Let us live purposefully. And let us live provokingly. This is it. We've hit the heights. And oh, what heights we've hit. On with provoking. This is it. Y'all remember that? I don't mean to make somebody mad to get them mad, but how about stirring them up for good, amen? Instead of telling some dirty joke, tell them, hey, why don't you come to church? Why don't you, I'll sit with you. We'll go out to eat afterwards at some cheap joint. You buy. Oh, they'll be jumping all over that. You know what? A hundred years from now, you're going to know what I'm saying is true. I hate to say this, but I hope, I hope there's nobody in this room that misses Jesus. And, and when they stand before the great white throne, across their mind comes, I was in a, a little Baptist church in Bonita Springs, and the old boy begged me. He pleaded with me to try to get right with God, to try to have my sins forgiven, and to trust Christ. And I just ignored him. I put it off. I had an agenda. I had a life I was going to live. Dreams I thought wouldn't happen if I got saved. And you gave up the permanent for the immediate. Don't do it. Come to Christ. And I'm going to tell you, when I got saved, I got right with God at 18 years old. I had all kinds of dreams and plans and had it all laid out in front of me. I had to just take that like a piece of paper and crush it up like this and just throw it in the wastebasket and say, that's not going to be my life. That's not going to be my life. God, what do you want me to do? First thing he did was send me to a military-like school. Man, I, I went to Bob Jones University in 1970. They told you when to get up, when to go to bed, made you clean the hair out of the sink, do room jobs every day. And when you didn't do it, you got a demerit, and you had to show up, wait in line to a group of your peers, four or five of your peers, and they would tell you, now, why didn't you do that? You should do that. I'm going to give you one demerit. Next time you get two, next time four, next time eight, next time. How do I know that? 
They treated me like a kid. I went there 18 years old. I had my own car, worked my own job, pretty much was an adult. And they were treating me like a kid. And this, I said, God, this is my new life. Yeah, he said, you need this. Oh, I needed it. And God may take you places you don't even know where he's going to take you. But man, it's going to be at the end, there'll be no regrets. Life's full of regrets, but it won't be regret. You will not have regrets with Jesus. Live purely in Christ. Live, pe live purposefully. Have a purpose in life. Oh, and help others go to heaven by the grace of God with you. Live provokingly. Father, help us this morning. Bless this preaching of the Word of God one more time. May the Spirit of God overtake, overcome, and encourage. May there be some people here without Jesus who say, Today is going to be my day. I'm going to trust Christ. My Savior heard this for years. Never made the decision. I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm not talking about baptism. I'm not talking about uh, confession. I'm not talking about any kind of thing. I'm not talking about joining an institution. I'm talking about a person, Jesus Christ, the Lord. If you'll confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That could be you. Maybe as a Christian, you say, Brother, I've been carelessly, casually living this Christian life rather than purposefully. Now you shake yourself, brother. By the grace of God, say, I'm going to get more serious about the things of God. I'm putting, I'm putting, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, these other things I'll add unto you. Maybe that's not been the case in your life. Why don't you make it today? You, all, you can make that decision sitting in your seat or when we stand here in a moment. Maybe you'd like to pray with someone about it. Maybe like you have a heartache, you'd just like to pray with someone. Maybe get some explanation. In a moment, we'll have an invitation. You come. Father, now do a work. In his name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.